Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to That's a Gay Ass Podcast, the podcast where we ask, whose fault is it that you're gay? Or in today's case, whose fault is it that you're queer? Whose fault is it that you're pan? Whose fault is it that you're bi? Before this interview, I was talking to Marsha about, like, what do we feel about this question? And she was like, you can ask me any and all. And so stay tuned for which one I chose. <laughs> Uh, if you do hear construction in the background, it's because the world is crashing around me and okay, I'm not joking. I was literally just recording this intro and then I got a message from Danny Pellegrino about the new Cinderella that's coming out. Uh, Billy Porter is the fairy godmother. Camilla, Camilla Cabello. Cam, Cam, oh God, I'm fully 80 years old. Um, and Danny was saying that the trailer looks, you know, interesting, but he saw a screener and it's really good. So take it from Danny Pellegrino, the, the new Cinderella. Hopefully it'll be really cute. And come on, it's Adina Menzel, Pierce Brosnan, Billy Porter. Um, unfortunately, James Corden does play a small role. Jesus, when will he leave us alone? It's like when you're walking home from dinner and someone's behind you and you know they're not actually dangerous but there's a foreboding feeling that they could be the reason why you die. That for me is James Corden. Um, I will say that speaking of Danny Pellegrino, it was so fucking nuts having him on the podcast last week. And I want to thank everyone who signed up for the Patreon. There are so many people that sent me nice messages about it and got to hear the bonus lightning round with him. And um, of course, the full video episode is unedited up there for Danny and Marsha Belsky as well. So get on that Patreon. Come on now. The Patreon is a legend. She's an icon. She is the moment. For today's episode, we have my soul sister, Marsha Belsky. Yes, doing this episode was the first time I ever met her. And yes, when we were talking, it felt like I've known her my entire life. It's just that kind of episode. She is so real and vulnerable and of course we have a lot of laughs but a lot of real shit as well i mean talking about dating relationships our relationship to religion musical theater uh speaking of theater and music she is a stand-up comedian that has not only written for like the new york times and reductress she also has a stand-up special on comedy central where she sings one of my favorite songs of all time called 100 tampons Remember when NASA sent a woman to space for only six days and they gave her 100 tampons, 100 tampons. 
She's also written full-length musical parodies called Handmaid's Tale the Musical. She wrote Fiddler on the Rooftop Bar, which we talk about in the episode a bit. So make sure you stick around for all of that. You've also heard her on podcasts like Las Culturistas. She's been on NPR's Marketplace, Radiolab. I mean, Marsha is the real deal and an absolute pleasure on this episode. So uh, give us a five-star review if you haven't. It really helps with the podcast. And of course, subscribe, follow along, and enjoy Marsha Belsky. When I get to like prepare for these interviews and just like pour over people's videos, yours was a true pledge because I need you to know something that like comedy, of course, is my jam. Musical theater is my jam. And Marsha Belsky, you are my jam. And I'm so happy you're on That's a Gayest podcast, truly. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I've really just combined those things recently, like not recently, like within the last like four or five years, though, where like I was a musical theater kid. And then I just did stand up for a really long time. I thought I just wanted to do stand up. And then I got into this musical comedy like within the last five years and it's really clicked. Yes. Well, I actually think that's really interesting because a lot of people I find like musical theater is like the starter drug. And then some people are like, oh, I don't. This is not it for me. But then they like go to something else. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. It's a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug. And then also like, oh, wait a minute. Listening to Wicked all those years did mean something. And I'm like coming... Going going back home, if you know what I mean, to Oz, really. Totally. Yeah, especially I feel like, I mean, this happened a little bit before quarantine, but especially in lockdown, I feel like a lot of us kind of return to like our inner child, like what makes us happy without these exterior sort yes. of influences. That's actually so spot on because I found that like, I don't want to speak to anyone else's experience, but I was like in so dark of a place that I was like, I just need to do anything that makes me happy and, and that's fun. And then through that misery it was like that re what's the word it was like the remembering of what mm-hmm. it is actually that like doesn't make us feel like just like exactly miserable. exactly we're like really self-soothing but this time we're like adults hopefully capable of of doing that <laughs> truly um i also want to tell you that right before we started this recording i was also self-soothing by watching chiropractor videos and um i'm really <laughs> feeling zen right now i i just like love to hear a crack and i can't explain it that those it's like I like those until there are some that are just too scary. Like there was this one where it was like this older woman and it was literally like her whole neck popped out of place and then went back in. And I'm like, it was oddly satisfying, but it truly looked like she broke her neck for a second. I'm like, I don't know how these guys do it. Wait, do you want to know something weird about chiropractors? And listen, no offense to any chiropractors listening, because this is fully just a rumor that I heard on TikTok. Wait, if you're, about to, if you're about to yuck my yum about chiropractors, I'm going to be devastated. Don't, don't, whatever you say, is it going to ruin chiropractors for me forever? It, it won't because it's only like, you'll know if they're a bad one, but like okay. apparently a huge amount of chiropractors in America, at least are COVID deniers. <gasps> Isn't that, I, that crazy? I did not think you were going there. It's weird. Like there's like these videos on TikTok where there's like a bunch of people in chiropractor offices of like signs that say like no mask, no problem. Like COVID isn't real, like crazy things. And then people were speculating that it's because like chiropractor and I don't, this is the part that I don't know if it's true, but apparently like chiropractors, like it's technically a pseudoscience, like where they like don't actually know how much that cracking and stuff helps you in the long run. 
I don't know. I don't know the details about why they're COVID deniers, but apparently there is a decent amount of chiropractors enough to remark upon <laughs> who are who are COVID. Maybe it's because they seem like you're going into a doctor's office. So it'd be like strange that they're COVID exactly. deniers. But, well, it's kind of like yeah. when you see a pharmacist smoking, you're like, don't you know? <laughs> Um, I mean, also, it's like, I think that chiropractors seems like there's a very wide range of the ones that are quite clinical and medical and the ones that are just like, I just like hearing bones crack. But also, <laughs> I think that every day I live on this earth, I find a new subspecies of humans that deny COVID. I feel like, like I know like, I was talking to Carrie I mean, there O'Donnell are nurses that. that deny COVID. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. It's but really they're, dark. I mean, Everyone, this is like people are commenting on it. Like, I mean, first of all, please, like nurses who have worked this year are like the most amazing. Like, I commend them. I really do. But it is funny because they're like, you know, kind of seen as like nurses and doctors because they do such important work, but they are still people. And we all know that like the meanest girls in our high school became nurses. And like, like, but there's one girl I know who's so nice, like my friend who's a nurse, but she does, she smokes cigarettes. She's like, people always like judge me because obviously I'm a nurse. She's like, I obviously know it's bad for me, but don't people drink and know it's bad for them? Like, she's like, sometimes we're just humans. We do shit. Right? Like, and nurses and doctors have trauma too, babe. We exactly. all have fucked up childhoods, no matter if you're helping people or not. But when exactly. you said that chiropractors, like something that scared you, I immediately thought of the, the old woman video. And so I feel like we're already on the same page there because if it's the same one that I'm thinking of, there's a video of her. She's like very old. And I think this is a chiropractor that I really trust. I mean, when I watch him, I'm like, you're these people are in good hands. But then every time she got adjusted, she went, yeah that was also like her reaction like or you're like oh and then he goes he goes goes, are you okay is that feel good she's like yeah (laughs) it's like always like it sounds like she did just see the light and just barely walked through came back to earth yeah and then she came back she's like it's like but then it is really satisfying one time i did share a chiropractor like super cut on my instagram story that was just so satisfying because it was every deep crack like within a millisecond of each other edited edited some people hate it some people hate the crack i got enough hate messages within about seven to eight minutes that i immediately deleted it It triggers people it really does because apparently even like cracking your knuckles some people find that like one time i would just like crack my knuckles in public and it like i could tell it like really disturbed the guy next to me because we're like at a coffee shop and i felt bad because i had never thought about that as like something that could but for me it's the i hate and i respect people who are into it but i hate when my friends will share the like dr pimple popper stuff because like I'm so not into it and it like so grosses me out. But for some people, it's like ASMR. Like, Wait, are they sharing it via text or are they posting it? No, just like randomly, like people will post it like on Instagram, not like a lot. And it's like, you know, share whatever, like you can't really control what's going to like set people off. But I just, I'm so not into it. And a lot of my friends love it. The pimple popper I find is even more polarizing than chiropractory. (laughs) It's true. We're in a polarized culture, you know? Literally. It's one side or another. The other (laughs) one that I would post or would really love is the, um, they call it the Y strap. It's where they put the strap around their chin. They're laying on their back and they like pull their head out of the socket. And and apparently the crack goes from the top of their head down to their ass. And I really, really want it. But a friend of mine once we were talking about it he's like i heard that there's such bad nerve damage when they do that and like that is not good for you and the second he told me that i was every time it happens i'm like it looks so delicious but oh my god it's just fully not good for these people i know that's the thing i think it's like there's limit like 
but now it's weird too because now I have cracks in my body that I know aren't good. Like I'm like getting older, so it's like every time I move, my like knees crack, and yeah. like it's just. So I think that apparently the cracking is more about like hydration or like something. I don't know, but oh. those look so good. But I could see it causing nerve damage because like it's all connected. It's like get your cracks in yoga. You know what I mean? Like just do a little stretches. I love when I get a good back crack. There's nothing like a good back crack. Sometimes Matt will bend down to pick something up and you will hear a crack in his lower back or like his upper hip. And I'm always just like, "Mm, Mm. yeah, daddy. I haven't gotten a good crack in a while now that I'm thinking about it. I feel like when I was a kid, I used to crack my neck all the time. And then now I don't really do it. Which is probably good. I, I've heard the self neck cracking is is a is a not good slippery slope, as they say. Yeah, well, exactly. I will say, like speaking of youth, one of your favorite songs of one of my favorite. What if I was like one of the songs that I perform that you love? One of the songs that you perform that <laughs> I love is um, the one that is about everyone should be my exact same age. Like, yes, please, no, no younger, one... no older. Because it's both. It's like, just everyone have the exact same experience as me, please. So that we can just like, because, you know, my mom would always tell me like whenever I would get like jealous of people or whatever, she'd be like a world where everybody is the same would be really boring, which of course is true. But then I just thought it'd be funny. Like somebody who's like, actually, I would love that (laughs) (laughs) if everybody could just be me. I need everyone to be Virgo, like moon in Libra and no older than 31. Yeah, because it's like, I know it's ridiculous, but that's kind of like the raw emotion when somebody bothers you because they're like, you know, coming at things from a different point of view or they're a different age or like whatever, that you're like kind of just frustrated that they're not you, which is like... I think it also becomes really shocking when you realize that you're in a different generation from someone when you're older than them and they're experienced and you're no longer the like in the know. Oh my gosh. That's been happening to me. And I, you know, I always knew it would because I was definitely, and I think this makes sense too. I was, when I was young, I I hung out with like way older people, like inappropriately older people. Like I partied with people from like my grocery store job and like stuff like that. And they would always be like, it's so funny. Cause when I was your age, like all my friends were older, but now you're so young and stuff like that. And I'd be like, that's not going to happen to me. But of course, like when you, when you pretend to be older, when you're an adolescent, you're going to kind of go through an adolescence when you're older. And I think comedy especially kind of keeps you like youthful in that way. And also to be honest, like, again, my mother, very wise woman, she like always advised to always have friends who are like younger than you, especially when you get older, because like, I mean, my mom was like a really blunt, like brutal woman. And she's like, your friends are going to die. You want people who are like younger than you who are like still going to be alive. And I'm like, I guess that's a good point. But in general, you know, probably just good to have older and younger friends but i was hanging out with my your your experience and knowledge exactly and i was like but i will forget because like i have this one really good friend and we were i had never seen high school musical because like you know it kind of came out like i think it might have come out when i was like in high school or college but i was kind of over my like disney phase and so we're watching and i go yeah i never really watched this because this was like after my time and she goes oh i mean this came out when I was in fourth grade. So <gasps> I watched it and I was like, oh, <laughs> but I had like forgotten about our age difference. Like it was only our age difference is only like six years, but it's like when you're looking back on those cultural moments, six there's years. a huge, yeah. Cause it's like, I didn't watch Hannah Montana. Like that was all after yeah. me. That was after my middle school. Like, did you, you end know? up watching high school musical? Yes, I did. 
So I, my, I, because my younger brother is like five ish years younger than me. That's how I like, re- like knew that the sweet life of Zach and Cody was a thing. He would watch the fairly odd parents, which I loved. He would, I mean, I definitely watch High School Musical just because I'm like a huge fag. But like um, <laughs> he, the, the High School Musical, I would repeat Zach Efron's the song "Bet on It." Bet yes. on it. It's Bet such. On it. Oh my Bet god, it's it. so good and it's so angsty. And I think it really spoke to my angst at that. The choreography they really fucked him over. Like because whenever there there's a character they're trying to code as straight in mm-hmm. a musical, like if you watch Newsies, the choreography is always like punch kick run like they're like we need you to dance but it can't be gay like don't be gay gay. (laughs) exactly like and also you know the controversy which i didn't know is that in the first movie it's not zach efron singing they brought somebody in so all of zach efron's part even though he is a singer all of zach efron's parts in the first movie are sung by somebody else which you can hear it sounds like the guy singing sounds kind of like he'd be in like 18s or like some sort of pop and then, but Zac Efron was so like annoyed and embarrassed by that, that by the time he had become a celebrity for the second movie, he like insisted that they let him sing. So then the second and third movie, I guess, like is actually his voice. But the whole first movie, every other cast member is singing their parts. Oh. I'm pretty sure. Except for, for Zac Efron, it was something about like, they wanted it to be more popular. Like they just didn't like his voice for some reason. And so they brought somebody else in. Oh, that's dark. And then all of a sudden he's like, Hey babe, I'm famous now. So listen, like it hey, or babe. not, I'm going to give you some vibrato. I mean, like not that yes. everyone's like giving full light in the piazza, but like, whatever, like, I'm sure like he, I, he has a great voice. And like, it, I sometimes get surprised when people are that good looking and they also have like ability and talent. I'm like, who gave you the right? Like God, exactly. universe, whatever. Like, I sometimes I can't believe like um really specific reference but Cheyenne Jackson to me he is so stunningly beautiful and then to hear his voice like talking about musical theater stuff I would listen to the cast recording of Xanadu and he his voice in that show is like unbelievable and he also looks like a quarterback in high school that also could be know, in the young like, and the restless musical theater like demands it of you I guess honestly well, men and women, honestly, like, cause that's what, that's one of my reasons. Like when I was younger, like now, like, you know, it's like, I'm beautiful and I have a good singing voice, but like compared to what you need to be for a musical theater, I knew it was never going to happen for me. Like I, they're like, even as a kid, they're like, okay, the beautiful blonde girl is going to get the lead. Marsha, I don't know. You could be like a witch. What? Like, it's like, they're always like casting me as a Here witch. And it's like, Marsha, do you want witch? Do you want mom? Or do you want... <laughs> Yes, like those thin, especially thin beauty standards and like those type of standards start so young in musical theater. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like I I am impressed when people are like talented and have like good looks, but it almost like bums me out because I know that it's like demanded of them in a way. Yeah. Like, well, it's also that the industry or whatever, or even just the art form of it all will only accept those types in certain roles. Exactly. Think of all the talented fat people that have never gotten leads except for when they're playing like Tracy Turnblad and that's a white yeah. character too. So it's like... Exactly. And I think that not to get too uh, jaded and personal and bitchy about it, but like that's one of the biggest reasons why I even stopped pursuing that world because it just was not the vibes of it all. We're just not it. It was like it's I so toxic. It's really They're abusive toxic. too because they'll they'll either say it behind your back in a mean way or they'll say it to your face. It's like the chorus line song "Dance Ten Looks Three. Like they still say shit like that, 
And also, especially with gay guys, like it's like most men in musical theater are gay, but there is such an anti-femme, like it's like you cannot be femme and play like a lead male role. And that's why even in musical theater, guys will like stay closeted because they know they can't make that transition to like lead Hollywood unless they're like so believably masked that like you know, whatever, whatever. So it's or like, they will force yeah. themselves or train themselves to be as masked as possible in order to get those roles. I mean, totally. And I think the really tough thing about this whole conversation, because I really think it's spot on, but the devastating part about it is that theater still is such a huge love of mine and such a like incredible experience to witness and to be a part of. And that's of the whole reason why I think so many people, like we were even saying that so many people, it's the gateway drug and they're is that innate beauty and magic to it but then also as we're saying there's so much bullshit that's been pumped into it that it's like i it's just very hard to believe that there's going to be enough of a systemic change that will strip away the sizeism the i mean blatant like having to be super masculine having to be super thin like all of it and and also of course people of color only being uh relegated to certain roles as well and I just, I really hope that it does have that change. And I think what's going to end up happening for you and me, Marsha, is that we're going to end up doing High School Musical 5 together, <laughs> get famous enough for that, and then we'll, well go do our Broadway was, show. That's what I was going to say. Is like, I definitely think the standards won't change that much and definitely not fast enough. And But I, I love musical theater so much. It's like one of the few things, like I knew that I deeply deeply loved it because when a show is bad good or in the middle i love it like it's like yeah. i just love watching musical theater every like thing that's i watch cats three times in theaters like i just i love all of it i love when it's camp i love when it's beautiful i love when it's bad like i love all of it and but i i think you have to critique what you love like that's the only way that you can advance it and i do think there are what my hope is because we've seen this in comedy a little bit because there's still obviously like centralized very like standard cultures and practices Mm -hmm. but with the internet with people being able to kind of blow up their own talent build their own audiences i think you're slowly seeing a lessening of power amongst gatekeepers and gatekeepers are really the ones who make those decisions for audiences because when you put a black show in front of an audience when you put any sort of show that's not the standard that's of a marginalized group or like has a non-traditional lead audiences actually love it because those groups are so underrepresented that, you know, they're really craving like, I mean, not like, you know, like maybe they don't want like it told from like the non-marginalized, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, they don't want like white playwrights making like black shows and things like that. But it's like when you actually give people the platform or when they give themselves the platform, the audiences are there. So I think it's like gatekeepers telling audiences what they want, but now audiences and creators have power to kind of cut them out, like cut out the middlemen and just get their stuff in front of people. That's like kind of what we did is like, we did this like handmade style musical parody. We did this like Fiddler on the Rooftop Bar musical parody. And we just did it like at Union Hall and then eventually like took it other places. It's like when you can kind of get yourself off the ground i feel like that's why these gatekeepers are so like anxious and frustrated right now because they can feel their power slipping yes but it's also i think why we a lot of us talk about the dark side of the tiktok and the instagram like the constant um just the pressures of always seeing other people's success the really positive side of it is that the power of the gatekeepers is lessening because of giving people the freedom to 
experiment with their creativity and create as Mm -hmm. many things as they can. And I think that what I have learned in the past few years, just like you've combined kind of comedy and, and music is I'm learning that even if you're putting something out that isn't perfect or whatever, it is still going to resonate with someone and then get you to the next thing you're making. And you get way more of a benefit from creating your own things out of that sense of fun and what you want to make. And then inevitably, it will lead to very good things career-wise because it's coming from a real place. And that's what audiences want. And that's what like studios and big producers and things keep missing. It's like, if you'll notice, like the most meaningful projects, whether it's comedy shows, musicals come from like, basically, I guess the word is like auteur where it's like, there's a creator Mm -hmm. who really gets to have kind of free reign, who they collaborate with, what show they want to make. And there's not you know, all these people like take this out, change this. Like, obviously there's going to be some of that, but you get the really good stuff. Like Nathan for you, like, you know, things like that. When you just give somebody control over their own project, but people in Hollywood, Broadway work so hard because it's like their jobs depend on basically not letting a creator just have full control. And so, but then, but, but then you'll see all of these projects. That's when you see these projects where it's like, I truly think they don't understand. Like we got the best director in the world. We cast all the best actors, but there's no natural chemistry. There's no excitement. There's no creativity. So they don't understand why these TV shows and projects keep failing when it's not coming from that original place of, I made this and now I want to make this, you know? So and listen, we say a lot about Lin-Manuel Miranda because he is sometimes insufferable, but he does create things from such a organic real place. And like in the Heights, the movie, I really loved it. I, of course, like, as we say, at anything you love, you it's the have, same thing. The criticisms are valid. Can, like it's the like criticisms both are can valid. be true. Yeah. But also I saw that show uh, on Broadway and it was pure magic i mean i i've seen the bootleg not to tell (laughs) myself but i do love these youtube bootlegs well that's the thing too is we have to be careful too like as white people because what i saw a lot with in the heights criticism the in the heights criticism is absolutely valid in terms of the anti-blackness and how hollywood kind of took out even some of the storylines that were black and the criticisms of Lin-Manuel is like, you know, coming from people like of marginalized groups critiquing that basically they want Hispanic people to look Italian, whereas the real like Latin diaspora is much different than that. But then I'll see other white people and there's like, you know, like being like, I'm not going to see in the Heights because I don't know if you read this criticism because blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's not why you're not seeing it. You weren't going to see it. So don't use the criticisms of people who are trying to like, call in and build like you know i just think it's like i think we kind of poke our noses where we don't belong sometimes when we should just be ingesting the criticism reading it seeing Mm -hmm. what's valid but also know that the conversation is not about us like it's like about within the latinx community about how their like colorism and things like that work in those communities like so I hate when I see like white people disregarding in the Heights somehow like acting as though it's in solidarity with that. And it's like, you know, I just think both can be true. Like both yes. are always true, kind of. Truly. And also I, I find that, you know, what you were talking about with creating of your own things from your specific experience, like we have to let those creators of In the Heights and those shows lead that conversation. But I also want to bring up that Fiddler on the Roof that you were talking about, the Fiddler on the Rooftop bar. It is so... (laughs) I mean, A of all, Larry Owens has such an incredible voice. It's so fucking funny. I saw that... um, 
gosh, so many amazing people were in that. But the uh, Judaism of it all, as another musical theater juju ju, uh, I want to tell you something that's just so fresh on top of mind is that I, as many, I think, Jewish people right now have a complicated relationship with religion and any religious person in general, but like an organized religion. I really, as an adult, have embraced the cultural aspects, the traditions that feel just meaningful of like connection. But of course, a lot mm-hmm. of like the strict religious things I kind of feel against. But all this being said, I have very complicated feelings about the bris of it all. But <laughs> my twin brother had a baby like eight days ago and the bris was last night and they're in St. Louis and I'm, you know, in New York and I was watching it over Zoom. Did you zoom in? <laughs> I zoomed into that circumcision, babe. I love that. But like I, and the thing is, this was not my first Zoom bris rodeo, <laughs> um, but I like was watching it and I, you know, of course had the same feelings that I always have, which is like, oh yeah, yeah, it's like a little barbaric. It's a little brutal. We're circumcising a child on, on camera. But then I, the reality hit me of A, like this is a thousands year old tradition, fine, fine. But then the real reality is that my twin brother is a father and I started to get a little teary during it all. And then my brother spoke and you know, very, very short. It's like, and you know, thanks for so emotional. And I swear to God, Marsha, I got off. Sorry, I swear to God, a G-D. I got <laughs> off of that Zoom call and probably also because I'm incredibly exhausted and like it's been a crazy time, but I didn't cry. I like full body wept oh, for yeah. 30 minutes. But that makes sense. Like, I mean, I like cried at my friend's wedding and I did not expect to. Like, I just big emotional moments like that. It's so good to let yourself feel them. And I think like, especially this year, like that's kind of what the bris ritual is about. Like, that's why I like Jewish rituals. I think rituals are important to people. I think that unfortunately, because institutionalized religion is so like corrupt and toxic that people are missing kind of these like rituals and institutions that are helpful for us. But it is funny too, because like there is a big movement against circumcision and they're like, that's always like a thing that like men do to be like, oh yeah, are you a feminist? Well, what about circumcision? It's like, if you want to be against circumcision, I'm against it. I think men should have as much feeling in their dick as they can, like as long as they keep it clean, whatever. Like, I don't care that much. And then I saw like a Jewish woman talking about how like she's trying to change like just the standard that like Jewish men automatically get circumcised because it is like a little barbaric and just something that people like do without considering it. But that being said, I was, I was at my like nephew's bris and I'll never forget because he's strapped in. Cause obviously all these things now have like, he's strapped into this like thing they have to keep the baby still. Cause the bris is done like at the synagogue. It's not done like at a hospital. And they swear to God, the, like the contraption that like hooked in the baby was called like Brismeister 2000, like, or something. <laughs> And I was thinking about this manufacturer, like who's like selling these like <laughs> these like bris holders. Like, wait, it's this just is what I'm envisioning. So funny sharks. You know when you're <laughs> you're sharks. Sharks. I'm here to pitch to you. You know how many times are, are you at a brief Mila? <laughs> uh, 
but the ritual is important. So I think it totally makes sense because it is, it's like, it hit me too. It's like, oh my God, my brother's dad. Like, because yeah. you only go to a bris if you're super, super close. Like if you're very. in the family or like very, very close. So I think like, circumcision is really kind of like a very high standard for closeness to witness that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know, when I think when I heard he had, when, he, when the baby was born, I got to FaceTime in and like uh, say, you know, meet him via my phone and say, can mazel tov to him and his beautiful wife who did such an incredible job and it was just like it really was beautiful and i was like i can't believe it and then for whatever reason the bris was just like the true reality moment of seeing other people in the room seeing my grandfather hold the baby my dad hold the baby and it just you know and him, oh, and, and like, you haven't been able to go to that's probably some of the emotion well, too it's like um, yeah marsh i think that was a whole lot of it because i just like, yeah you know i really love living in new york and i get to see my family a, you know kind like a fair amount i wish i could see them more but it's it's not like i'm going every three years like i go at least probably a couple times a year and but it was a very big reality shock of just like wow i really even if i want to be there right now i i, I truly cannot yeah. and that's I'm, what was scary about the pandemic like those of us kind of like living away from our families is because yeah. our normal like oh i'll see them twice a year was like taken from us and Mm -hmm. it was especially at the beginning it was really scary of like when am I going to be able to safely see my parents again and like you know it's just it was it's it's horrible yeah it is but I I do have a plan to visit uh in like a month or so and so I just Matt was like just hugging me as I cried and cried and he just like you know kept saying like there's going to be so many other celebratory moments and you know we are going to see we're get to hold him soon and you know and that's all that's all we can do and I I think it is sort of the um result of following our dreams and our passions and our and, and creating a community and a tribe that it's in a different place than where you're where you grew up and it's like it's you know it's so worth it to do that but of course it's also you it's hard yeah negate the the toughness of it all mm-hmm. i know i keep thinking about that too where it's like and i'm lucky that my parents are not like the type that like wanted me to stay home and are sad that i live in new york like i grew up in oklahoma and my mom was really like get the fuck out of here like do not <laughs> stay here like and they ended up moving to ohio like right when i graduated but like it's, Wait, i'm like, so interested in this so uh because like jew I, as a Jew growing up in Missouri, people are like there are Jews in Missouri. And I'm like, you'd be surprised. There's a lot. Yeah. What part, what part of Oklahoma? I'm from Tulsa. And there's like a small but mighty Jewish community because basically there's probably like 500,000, 800,000 people in like the whole metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. And there's like, I think 3,000 Jews. So it's like there, you know, we had a youth group and we always like would go down to like Dallas because that was like the regional BBYO youth group area. Of course. Um, but it, it is funny because like I have never been in a serious relationship with a Jewish person because I think it's different than when you grow up like somewhere where there's like tons of Jews or like most of the people you're around are maybe Jewish because like all the people I knew, like I, there are a couple of people I had a crush on, but it was like, you know, it just felt too incestuous. Like it's like we've all known each other for like a long ass time and you'd smooch boys at summer camp. That's my parents always sent me to jewish summer camp i think as a way to like get me around like more jewish people and kind of got into like the rituals and stuff mm-hmm. there and a lot of people you start to realize too all, all of these like setups are just trying to make like jews like marry other jews but i just i i don't know if that's in the cards for me i mean i wouldn't count somebody out obviously but it's like i wasn't you're not raised, anti-semitic like, <laughs> i'm not anti-semitic i'm like 
But I also, I never, I I always thought that being a self-hating Jew was just kind of like a joke that we all are kind of that way or whatever. And then I worked at this, my two day jobs ago, I was working at a nonprofit and with a lot of Jewish people and they were like actually religiously Jewish, like grew up in New York, like kind of Orthodox communities, not Hasidic, which is, there's a big divide there, but like Mm -hmm. they're Orthodox. So it's like, you know, they're all going to get married. They're all going to have kids. You know, it's still very much in that line. And I made some joke about, you know, typical Jews, anxious, neurotic parents. And this girl I work with was like, what do you mean? I was like, you know how we as Jews are like neurotic. And she's like, what? Like, she was like kind of offended. (gasps) I think because also she sees me, she wasn't really offended. I mean, we're fine. But like, I think because also there's the divide, like I'm a secular Jew who's somewhat spiritual and religious, but I'm not actually living the everyday like reality of like a Jewish person and Jewish Mm -hmm. community. So I think Jews who are living in that reality, I think like have a different like culture. I mean, like they're, they're not sitting there like making fun of themselves the way that like Hollywood Jews do. So to speak, like, well, they're going for Rosh Hashanah. I think it's like they, the quote unquote neurotic, anxious parents of it all, which of course is a real thing to them. That's just like the, that's just the normal standard, what, what yeah. their community is. But then when you're like, that's like when you're like, you're all neurotic and anxious, it's like, what are you talking about? This is just normal. And then you go to like, of course, like a Catholic mommy group and, and it's just a different yes. vibe. <laughs> and like one's not better than the other. And as much as I, like you're saying, like make the jokes and like the self hate and all that, like I, of course, love being Jewish. The fucking thing I talk about it so fucking much. Like it, like there is so much love and passion behind it. But I just think they also we have a lot of baked in trauma, babe. And if we can't laugh about it, then I just like what? What's the other option? Just like we have so much intergenerational trauma. Like as I'm like dealing with my anxiety, like it's really wild because I'm just like sitting there, like yeah, this is shit my dad never dealt with, and mm-hmm. now I'm dealing with it. Like, mm-hmm. and it's like. I mean, it's there, but it, but it is interesting because I never thought because I am like, you know, hundred percent Jewish, both my parents are Jewish, but my dad is kind of the more Jewish mom. And my mom was kind of raised agnostic and like became more Jewish, like when she met my dad. Mm. And so like, I would, yeah, I would always make these jokes, especially like coming from Oklahoma. I think you just learn to like put that like front and center about yourself. Like I'm Jewish. I'm in front of it. You're not going to say anything to me. I've got the jokes first, like Mm -hmm. things like that. But then I was doing this interview and this guy was like, do you ever think of these sort of like self-hating, like, you know, Jewish tropes, like that you'll remark on sometimes like as sort of perpetuating those harmful stereotypes. And I was like, well, now I am. (laughs) (laughs) Now I am thinking about that. So it's like, you know, I always try and look at what jokes I'm making in terms of like, is this something I'm doing to be like self-deprecating or even Mm -hmm. as like an in-joke amongst like other Jews? Or it's like, you know, people I feel like feel close enough to like Jews that I feel like they can laugh at our humor. I mean, our humor has been really dominant in American culture. Like, you know, with Yiddish vaudeville and then like our influence in Hollywood. This is where I get frustrated too. Like where I saw somebody talking about this, like there are Jewish people, like, of course it is like kind of insane that like there are major Jewish roles, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Maisel, like not played by Jews, like sure. But I think that white Jews, we will sometimes try and latch onto this conversation about representation in Hollywood with those like couple of examples and it's like but white jews can play white people yeah and we are white people and so it's like 
that's not our conversation. Like, it's like, we are represented. I grew up with tons of stories. Like we're not represented. I, I remember like, you know, Rugrats, Hanukkah and Passover as like one of the only things that had like actual, like talking about the religion itself and those type of things. So of course, Christmas and Christian Christianity is very dominant, but in terms of that representation of our culture, we're there. We're fine. Like we do, we're, we're good. We need like, more Jews in yeah. Hollywood. I know it's like, literally we're fine. Like, so it's, you know, I, I find it funny. Like, so I think for that reason, people feel they can really relate to Jewish humor right. because it's been so dominant in, in comedy to the point that I did this like audition for this festival. I won't say. And apparently the guy after my set turns the woman, like the judge who has now been exposed for other problematic things was like, great. Another Jew girl. Like, it's like, so it's like, how are you going to be in comedy mad at Jewish girls? But like, there's so many of us, I guess it's hack. So it's like, you know, Oh my God, Jew girls are hack now. <laughs> great. That, that includes great. Me. great. <laughs> well, listen, great. speaking of like all of our backgrounds, our, our traumas, our roots, I want to ask the famous <laughs> podcast question. Yes, please. Marsha Belsky, whose fault is it that you're queer? Whose fault is it that you're pan? Whose fault is it that you're bi? <laughs> I want to state that Marsha, we did have have a discussion and i think that all three apply and that's why i really just wanted to love asking all three marcia <laughs> whose fault is it who do you blame that's so interesting i was trying to like think about this question i didn't okay so i didn't think about in terms of who do i blame because i'm like who do i blame i mean it could be a what it could be a where it could be a you know it's really anything I was trying to look back on like moments like of queerness, like once I was like realizing that in myself, like moments that I might not have picked up on at the time. And there was this one that I was thinking of that's like the first movie I I remember consciously being horny to was like this totally innocuous kiss at the end of the movie, The Wedding Planner with Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Lopez. I was obsessed with that movie as a kid. I watched it like 500 times. So I always thought like literally that kiss made me so horny. And I always thought it was because I was attracted to Matthew McConaughey. And looking back, I think I was extremely attracted to both of them. Okay. And that's Wait, why I can interrupt you. I just want to let you know that full circle, you are a witch because on last week's episode with the famous Danny Pellegrino, we had a full discussion about the wedding planner where he a joked about how Jennifer Lopez, they had her play Italian, but yes. also how Matthew McConaughey is gorgeous in that movie. Danny also said he's wearing a ton of makeup. But all this being said, I really, part of me blames that movie for making me uh, queer as well. So please continue. The kiss at the end, were you like really gravitated towards Jennifer? Is that what we're saying? No, like I'm just realizing looking back on that movie, it's because Matthew McConaughey is so attractive in that movie. It's the way that he wears sweaters. That yes. is like, because that's what I'm into with men. It's like, I love their hands. Mm. I love the way that they wear sweaters. I like like, chest hair and like things mm. like that and then with women like what i didn't realize because i wasn't like because compulsory heterosexuality i like only was thinking about that i was attracted to him and he had this like sexy like adam's apple in that movie that he's always swallowing and like really enunciating <laughs> like and it's like really hot but jennifer lopez is like there was like a scene where it's just like her ass in jeans and it's just like I don't think I realized consciously at the time that I was like very attracted to her, but it's like I mean they're just they're both so hot in that movie and they're a hot couple and like she's so hot. Ugh. And I think looking back, I mean it's like 
And of course, Jennifer Lopez is like the only type of curvy they would even allow because she's like completely flat stomach and then has like a huge ass. But I do think that there was something in me that I'd only seen teeny, teeny, tiny, emaciated girls as lovable on screen. And just seeing somebody with like a fat ass, like be the one who was chosen over this like skinny blonde girl was like really important to me. You know what? That's um, actually really I I I I keep trying to think and unpack why that movie spoke to me so much and I think that is right. It's like seeing someone that you have the conventional blonde skinny bitch that usually the person would go for, but Matthew McConaughey of all people wearing these gorgeous tight ass sweaters. I mean, Jesus, age. Uh, I don't know if they're clamped in the back or what. And it's the what. colors of the sweaters too, like just like his complexion like with like foam. these like weird army green. Yes, like it's just like it's hot. And then he had the white shirt under the sweater. It's just mm. men around me were not wearing sweaters like that. I mean, no, I wasn't no, no. seeing, and that's still what I'm so into. But the problem is, it's like anytime I see like a well-dressed guy like that, he's either like gay or he's like been married for like a very long time. It's like men who are like well-groomed are rarely like into women and single. Like, but sometimes, <laughs> I mean, I pretty much only date men who are like queer, or, like somewhat like fluid, you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like, I like now it's like I like, you know, sometimes I want to wear the sweater. You know what I mean? So it's like, do you? But I was so attracted to it. So, speaking of kind of just like conventional things and looking to the future with dating, do you envision yourself like being in a marriage situation? Do you have those visions or do you keep it very open for what it looks like in your future? I am not so into marriage, but I want a committed relationship. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, it's hard with like my career stuff because yeah, I, I didn't realize until recently kind of how much of like having a normal dating life I've sacrificed because I've been doing stand up since I was 19. So it's like, I really haven't had normal dating experiences since then. And then before then I dated like much older guys, like to the, in a way that was like kind of fucked up. So it's like, it's interesting because like, I, you know, I was in a committed relationship like a few years ago and we broke up and we're still friends, but like, I realized like I want a committed relationship, but it's like, it's hard to date because I'm like everything that would make me attractive as a man makes me like scary as a woman kind of like, and that's super reductive. That's kind of like mostly because I fuck with men and I'm trying to like date women more and see if that kind of like changes so like but you know it's just it's difficult for me because I think it's like I meet a lot of people through comedy but then there's obviously the difference between like who I am as a comedian and who I am as a person so it's like I definitely see myself in a committed relationship I think I am a monogamist or whatever like I don't I it's like if I'm casually I can kind of casually sleep around and have friends with benefits if I really don't want to date them Um, And we have the chemistry, but we just don't want to date each other. Like that works for me. But lately it's been making me feel like more lonely because it's like what I'm missing is like that intimacy, that like commitment. Like, I don't know if I would like not get married if I found like a partner I really wanted that commitment with, but I'm just not like the paperwork scares me, honestly, because my, my fear, I have super insecurities around somebody being with me, no longer wanting to be with me, but like not telling me. And then marriage makes that really hard because I feel like, you know, it's like people will stay in relationships for years that they're not happy in just because it's so complicated to break up. And so I feel like marriage adds like another 
level to that that would make me insecure because like i don't want the paperwork it's so with the right person i think you wouldn't have that doubt maybe and so then i would be excited to commit but i would definitely do like a town hall sure wedding like (laughs) sure sure. well i mean if i'm being if i'm being really real about it i think that for me i did think that matt was gonna leave me for not in our marriage but in the first like three no i would say the first year to two years of dating I would have these moments of spiraling that he was going to break up with me. And the funniest thing that happened is that... And I think a lot of it was kind of like a self-esteem thing because he is so beautiful. And like I... You know, the first time I saw him, I was like, this guy is out of my league. He's gorgeous. He's like, there's no way. But he's looking at me like he's kind of into me. Like, why is he doing that? <laughs> I always have that. And it's like, we're hot. But it's like, I just think we we weren't raised as that as a part of our identity. No, so it's like, no. <laughs> it still freaks me out when somebody I'm attracted to finds me attractive. You're like, what's wrong with you, babe? Um, kind of like, yeah. Yeah. But then what ended up happening is that... And I don't think he'll mind me saying this is that we had I had that fear for a long time and then I that fear went away and then all of a sudden like two to three years in I was talking to my therapist and all of a sudden I was like wait a minute I'm fucking hot and he's not giving me what I need and fuck this guy he doesn't deserve this and my Mm -hmm. therapist I still remember she was like so um what changed what what just happened I was like I have no idea but I got to a point of like we were having a moment in our relationship where I wasn't like some of one of my needs wasn't being met, whatever it was. And it completely shifted the dynamic where I was like, actually, you're Cause you got to stand up. Yeah. That's, yeah. it sounds to me as someone who's like learned a lot about this for myself, that you had anxious attachment issues. And then you moved into a more secure attachment to the point where you could stand up for your needs. And then that, that shifts to that. That's how I'm trying to change how I date is because I've always approached it from a very like, like I couldn't stand up for my own needs because I was scared that they would leave. And yes. now it's like, if you leave, then it wasn't the right situation. So I have to stand up for my own needs, but it's taken me a very long time to get there. Listen, I totally identify with that. It's so tough to get there, but I really feel like it's important to remind yourself that A, the more real you are, the earlier, and B, the more transparent you are about your needs, then the deeper the relationship can be, the more likely it will be to succeed because that other person is receiving you in the more real version of yourself because let's exactly it, you of course when you first date you're like i'm a perfect person and <laughs> nothing is wrong yeah and, and it's not sustainable six months later you're like i fucking hate myself so fucking much it's like exactly. it, it, it's a pretty when people turn. want you to be authentic like that's what was hard for me is like i think i try and connect with people by having them open up to me because then i don't have to be vulnerable because mm. then i really really pick and choose what i want to show people and things like that but it's like you know, in my last few situations, I've been trying to just be open because it's like, truly, you have nothing to lose except for like a connection that maybe wasn't meant to be or like, you know, you just have to like, let things happen how they're gonna happen. But it's like, it's really hard for me to stand up for my needs in that way. But it's the only way to feel seen to actually see the other person because I was putting people on pedestals. Mm -hmm. And they they didn't like that either. Because Nobody and I and I don't like when you know people treat me that way because it's like you're not seeing me if you're only seeing this like person on a pedestal. So I think it was leaving my partners feeling very like unseen by me because I'm just trying to please them and not sticking up for my own needs. But at the same time, 
getting upset when they can't read my mind, being very insecure to the point that I Ooh. can't open up, that I yeah. can't be vulnerable. These are the things I'm working on. I mean, it's hard, like, because I, you know, I hate the talking and I hate the dating, but it's really necessary. So I'm really trying right now to just like go out on dates, like mm-hmm. meet people without the expectation of a relationship. Because yeah. I was always chasing dates with wanting to be in a relationship and yeah. now just kind of realizing like relationships happen very naturally when there's a connection between people and I'm intuitive. So I can feel that connection. So when I feel that connection, I just go with it. And if it doesn't work out, it's painful, but I'll be okay. You, you know, will. but it's and taken I, I me a long time. It takes such a long time to to know that. But I think what my therapist repeated to me that I want to repeat to anyone who's listening that anytime you're feeling this, especially with dating, is like the three words, four words. The four <laughs> words are let it be organic. If it's meant to be, or if it's meant to be whatever the fuck it's meant to be, it's going to be that. And so I would get in, in the way of many things because of my anxiety and all those things. But really, like, I think one of the biggest reasons that Matt and I ended up staying together is because I have like literal photo proof of me texting friends and saying to people, he is so cute. It's, he's so great. But I have no idea if this is going to go anywhere because uh-huh. especially the, the Judaism of it all. I was at a point where I was like, I don't know, a year out of birthright. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I have to be with a Jew. I have to continue spreading my seed. Uh, of course, like myth with a man, I actually can't. <laughs> but like I was with Matt and I was like, I mean, he's like a blue eyed Catholic boy from the South. Like I didn't necessarily envision this as a long term partner. So like, I'm just going to really enjoy this and boo, 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 boo. And then, of course, two years in, I was like, my needs aren't being met. Fuck you. And then, of course, my needs were them. And then three years in, I was like, are we are we doing okay? We need to really check in. And then we got to check in. in. And then, of course, five years into dating that's when we got engaged and then we got married mm-hmm. at six and it was just like it organically happened that way that's yeah and i think that was that... my issue i couldn't let things happen i'm really bad at just letting things happen because my anxiety wants to control it control the yeah. narrative i was very afraid of feeling foolish looking foolish and it's like i've really kind of let that go in a way because it's yeah. just like because that, that also came from a belief like i through therapy have worked through this feeling of like i really would conflate one person's opinion of me with the entire world's opinion of me, which makes dating really hard because, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work, but like you get rejected in these small and big ways, but it's really not about you. It's about the connection and it's about it, you know? And so it's like, I had a really hard time just kind of letting things unfold because also there's a tricky balance there between sticking up for your needs and letting things unfold organically. And that's Mm -hmm. been a tough balance, but I'm I'm feeling like I'm starting to get there, but then it's hard because it's like, then you really like somebody and it's like all these old issues like oh, come yeah. up and you're I just mean, like, listen, don't leave me. <laughs> there are such growing pains with it. And I also find it so important to remind yourself that when you are having a low moment with that person, whether you're dating in a long relationship, the anxiety in me used to say that, oh, this means that we are bad. We're not meant to be together. We should break up. And that's actually like what I'm excited about because Matt and I have a, a segment for the Patreon for bonus episodes called This Week's Fight, where we like unpack the fight. 
And I think that it's actually like, it's good for both of us because we get to kind of laugh at the things we're fighting about, but also acknowledge that we have issues like everyone else does, but Mm -hmm. it is okay and frankly necessary to address them and then move forward knowing you're going to be okay versus when I would be like, oh no, we fought about insert dumb thing here we definitely are going to break up so mm-hmm. uh, but listen. well and that's also with the other person being like because that's one thing that i've learned too is that all these relationships i would look back on being like why didn't they work out it's because i was the only one willing i was the only one who wanted to be in the relationship the other person liked me they were attracted to me but they just anytime it would come so that's why i'd always keep my needs silent because when you bring up your needs, those people do leave because they don't really want to be with you. They can't, they're not ready, whatever it is. So it's like, you know, it's taken me a really long time to not take that personally. That just like, not everybody is willing because if you have a fight and you work through it, it's because both of you want to be in the relationship. That's the main thing. Like that is it. And that's my fear with marriage is that my fear is always the other person doesn't want to be in the relationship with me but isn't telling me and because like especially with men like they I don't know my friend was saying that sometimes they think it's because straight men are taught to like infantilize women where it's like they always think like you're so like precious and fragile to the point that they make an issue way worse than it has to be because it's way more painful for me to be guessing if you're into me or not than for you just to go hey I think you're really great, but it's just not a good time in my life right now, you know, or whatever it is. And so that's caused a big insecurity for me because I'll date people who are nice, who are nice people. But then part of that is that they like are nice to a fault where they don't want to just say difficult things sometimes. I get that. But I think what my dream for you is to give yourself enough credit to know that you will feel it innately and that you are such an emotionally intelligent person that regardless of what you think is happening, your gut is going to know if they're feeling any sort of way. And Mm -hmm. yeah, my gut always instantly knows. And sometimes it's brutal because I'm like, wait, no. <laughs> right. I, and it's and also it's like, like straight men are I just, gotta trust it. You do. And straight men can be really bad communicators, but like you still, we all have, we all have those guts and listen. And maybe I, I won't end up with a man and that would be, you know, different. So that'd be nice. Exactly. And listen, whatever happens, it's going to be organic and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be organic. Exactly. That's like part of like leaning into the fluidity of my sexuality too, is that it just allows me to go for things organically. Like I really just connect with people that I connect with and I don't want any limitations on that you yes, know so yes. it's like i'm it's taken a long time but baby she's getting there she's getting there she is on her way um i <laughs> wanna before we log off i want to ask uh the final question which is controversial marsha belsky what do you think is the best Whoopi goldberg film well it's funny because actually the first broadway show i ever saw was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum <gasps> starring Whoopi Goldberg, who had just taken over for, I believe, Nathan Lane. Oh my God, Marsha, so that she is was huge. Yes. And I already, and my dad, we listened to her like books on tape when we were like on car rides and stuff. So it's like, I've always been such a Whoopi Goldberg fan. And <laughs> the story of how she got her stage name is so funny because she's like, people call me Whoopi because I like, I don't know if it's like she farted a lot or she would like make a joke about farting a lot. And so it was like, they call her whoopee cushion. And so that's where she got whoopee. And then she literally was like, and Goldberg, because I felt like it would help me to have a Jewish last name. <laughs> I'm just like, I love that so much. I love her. She's so funny. Um, but okay. What are my favorite? Okay. Well, as a kid, little rascals, I loved mm. 
little rascals. Um, what is her her son's name in that movie? Like Pickle or um Yeah, something like that. Something like, so cute. Um, and then I mean Sister Act, obviously. Obvious. Maybe, but um also one that I just rewatched recently that she's amazing in, Cinderella. Marcia, the, um Brandy, yes. Brandy and oh, Whitney course. Houston Cinderella. Whitney, Brandy Cinderella is canon. Yes. Yes, so those are probably my my three sister act, Little Rascals, and Cinderella are, you know, Whoopi Goldberg movies that I that and then I honestly love. throwing in a, a funny thing purple. happened on the way to the forum Broadway moment is very and exactly and, and that's on Broadway. Um, well, <laughs> Marsha Belsky, I just need to let you know I felt this like spiritual connection with you. This is like such a pleasure of an episode, Me too, babe. and I really, really, really appreciate you coming on. And honestly, I think we're gonna have a reunion episode at some point. And thank you so much for being on. That's a gas podcast. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, Marsha Belsky, my new soulmate. I just can't not get over her. If you want to follow her on social media, her handle is at Marsha Sky, Marsha S-K-Y. And please follow along on the Patreon to get that bonus exclusive content. Uh, this week's fight with Matt is going to be up there in the next week. And also get the full video and access to merch. So, that is linked in the show notes and follow the podcast Instagram at gay ass podcast and follow me at Eric Wills E-R-I-C-W-I-L-L-Z tell a friend if you like this episode tag Marsha if you enjoyed it I'm loving growing this gay ass community and listen I love ya I need ya I'll see you next week Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.